We are almost to the end of our series going through 1 Peter, and I'll keep you guys posted on what we decide to do after that. We might roll into part two. <laughs> uh, we'll see what happens. Um, but today, if you have your Bibles, um, if you don't, the passage will be on the screen. Um, but we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going verses 12 through 19. And Peter has been, he's been talking a lot about the suffering, the challenges that the believers face at this time, 2,000 years ago, okay? And so um, in this passage, it's a little bit more of the same, but different, all right? And we'll, you'll see why here in a second. So I'm calling this, oh, I don't know what happened there, a little bracket, that's kind of cool, but um, tomato and mission, and actually it's missio, tomato e missio. Is it e or con? What would that be? I don't know. If I put it in Spanish, if I drop the con or an e, is it a y? Tomato con mission or missio? Yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. It's not good English, but it is what it is. Um, and you'll see why in a second. Um, so, um, because what we're looking at here is is Peter writing to a group of people that are on mission, that are living out their faith, and running up against some challenges as a result of it, okay? So what I want to start out with is give us some context of mission. So we all are on mission in some way. And this idea of mission, I think we have to broaden it a little bit so we understand what it's all about and what it's doing. Because sometimes we think of it just in the terms of like a mission that you go to another country and do something. But we all have a mission on a daily basis. Some of us, it's Maybe not some of us in this room. I'm not going to put him on blast. It's maybe for our culture. But some of us live just to have fun, right? Like, I'm going to have fun. I'm going to party it up. I've got one life to live. We're going to live this well. That's someone's mission, right? Um, you can have a mission to really just enjoy life. You can have a mission to go serve people. You can have a mission um, to basically do whatever you want, right? And we all live by a mission. You could say it's like a motto or a life statement or like life rules that you live by. But... This mission that God calls us to is different. And so I want to ask you this question. What do you think God's mission is? I'll let that marinate a little bit and really think it through. Like, what do you think that God's mission is right now? I know that we can think about it in Scripture and we go, like, what was God's mission back in the day and what was he doing? But right now, what do you think? Because we do believe, like, honestly believe that there is another realm just beneath the surface. We have the tangible world that we all see and deal with every day, right? Um, And then there's the Holy Spirit. There's this like spiritual realm that exists that we believe is very, very much real, very much at work. It's just, you can't grip it. You can't grab it. And it's not right there immediately to like, be like, this is it right now. But when you begin to see the way God works, you go, okay, I see it. And one of the questions I've been asking in our life group was, how do you see God working this week? And of course, what happens? Uh, I don't know. We're stumped, right? We're like, it's even hard for me sometimes. But the more I ask that question, and it's been one of those questions that uh, someone dropped on me like 20 years ago, and I've been like, trying to keep it in like, the habit or rhythm of my life, to say, what has God done this week? And the more I do it, I go, oh, wow. God did some amazing things. God did some miraculous things that I sometimes contribute to either myself because I'm arrogant and prideful in some way or I attribute to some other human being just being a loving, kind human being. But then I'm like, wait a minute. 
that loving, kind human being is a result of what God did in their life. And that person just surrendered to God. I'm like, okay, so God was working through them. I watched that happen this week where someone just started sharing their testimony with somebody and that person was like, I'm into that. Like, that's awesome. And I saw a life completely flipped and transformed. I was like, that's awesome. Like, that's the kind of stuff that God is up to. So when I ask this question, what do you think God's mission is? Hopefully by the end of the sermon, you'll know it. Um, and we'll know it a little clear or reminded of it. But God's mission is continually at work, even though we don't realize it at times. And to kind of like help us in this conversation, I have to bring in a tomato plant that I'm growing right now from a seedling, okay? So what do you think the mission of this tomato plant is? Maybe you've grown a tomato plant. Maybe you enjoy salsa. Maybe you enjoy some beautiful, I don't know, slices of tomato on a sandwich, as I do. Uh, Maybe you don't, I don't know. But the purpose, the mission of that plant is to grow a tomato, right? A delicious tomato. And it's going to be in my backyard. This sits back there, and it's, it looks small, but it's actually it's pretty big right now. Um, that's a big five-gallon pot. Um, and I started that from uh, a friend's seedling. So my friend Eric, who um, took a bunch of just little cups, dropped a bunch of seedlings or a bunch of seeds from last year in and started growing them. And he was like, you want one? I was like, you know I want one. A beautiful, delicious Roma tomato, I'm in. And so I took it, and it took a few days to get going because I had to acclimate from going indoors to outdoors. And so I was kind of worried about it. It was like, it's been really hot, and so it's been like kind of withered and kind of struggling. And then eventually, this really good soil that I put it in just allowed it to thrive. And now it's got this like nice like root base going and it's, it's growing. I can see it's going to do well. Um, it's got a good little wire trellis that it's going up. The mission of that plant takes a lot of work. I don't get to reap the benefits of that thing yet, right? There's a tomato that's eventually that I'm hopeful for is going to be there and a you know, rabbit or something is going to come and destroy it and take it from me. But I'm going to get to reap the fruits of all that hard work that's suffering, <laughs> the, the, the trials, the work that goes into it. I want to use that as a backdrop to talk about the mission of God because I believe that there's fruit at times that we don't see. I know there's going to be fruit. That's why I'm putting this hard work into it. So let's read the passage. Here we go. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal, that's something to underline, that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed. That's a big one. Overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are in, <clears throat> insulted because of the name of Jesus, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or as any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the, that name. I'm talking about Jesus. For it, is time, <clears throat> for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is 
hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. If you want to underline something, we're going to talk about that very last line, continue to do good. That is a crucial line that kind of sums up everything that he's saying. So, he's talking about suffering, he's talking about the challenges, um, and very early on, right off the bat, he talks about this fiery ordeal. Let's talk about the fiery ordeal. Um, persecution at this time, 2,000 years ago, um, around 60 AD, uh, was intense, okay? So, disclaimer, I was going to throw some, like, images that, some paintings that people have done or, like, that have kind of, like, reenacted situations, but I was like, I don't know if the kids would be in here, and I didn't want to really get into that. Um, but the, uh, the scenario that we find ourselves and we find Peter writing to is intense, okay? The intensity that we don't even know, we don't even understand, we can't even, we can't fathom. I know that in 2015, there was, like, a, like a beheading of, like, 20 Christians by ISIS. Like, that might be the closest thing that we might understand. But this is not even compared to what's happening at this time. Um, Emperor Nero of Rome ruled Rome from 54 AD until he died as a result of suicide. That's a key thing to note right there, as a result of suicide, um, 14 years later. Um, I got to make a distinction before I continue on, like talking about Nero and Rome and everything that happened in the context here. Um, so some of the, the questions that will start to come up as you look at suffering, as you look at suffering in Scripture, and some people will ask, so are Christ followers just supposed to suffer and just take whatever suffering comes our way um, or abuse that comes our way? There's a, dis- a very distinct difference, and he actually spells it out here. He's like, there's a difference between people who, you know, where he says, like, you're a criminal, you're a meddler, you're suffering as a result of being a thief, a murderer, all these different things. He said, there's a difference between that and suffering for Christ. And we have to really clearly point that out. I put it in the notes. It's on the screen, probably. Um, but abuse is an injustice that needs to be confronted. Suffering for being a Christian or a Christ follower and standing for truth and believing in a better way for humanity. It's believing that there's a missio dei, a mission. We're going to talk about that in a second. I know that's like a Latin word that you're like, what is that? Um, But the mission of God, it's a belief that what we're doing is bringing a way for humanity to thrive, to do well, to love in the midst of a world that says, take care of number one, right? So there's a mission that's going on. And what he's saying is that if you're getting pushback for being on mission, that's a good thing. Like, that's a good thing, because what you're fighting for is ultimately the good of humanity, ultimately the good of all creation. It's like bringing back this, this intended way of living. And so going back to Nero, um, this fiery trial, he uses this word fiery ordeal because there was an event that took place. And there's a few events that might be connected to it, and he might also be referencing a lot of other scripture that talks about a refining fire. You've probably heard of that. Um, and, and this theme of fire runs throughout Scripture, that the testing, the same way that fire uh, refines steel or hardens steel, right, and brings strength to it. Um, there's that sort of thing happening. And, but what he says is this fire ordeal, which uh, in that time, there was a massive fire in, in Rome. 
giant. It's like it's in history books. You can read about it if you want to go Google it and check it out and get into it. Um, but what Nero did was he blamed Christians for this fire because he knew that by blaming them and by pushing blame in some way on Christians that it would make them look bad. And everything that he was doing was trying to say, I am king, I am God, I am the one powerful, and anybody else that comes against me is going to get some pushback, is going to get pushed out in some way. And so that's where this like persecution comes in. That's where things like Christians being lined up and fed to lions existed, right? Like that was Nero's thing. Like he was creatively trying to find ways to torture Christians to send a very clear message who's in charge. A very clear message that there's one God, there's one king, there's one emperor, there's one person who's in charge. Anybody else who claims that there's another kingdom, it's not going to fly. And so there's things like uh, Christians being, I think, put in clothing, wax clothing, tied to poles, lit on fire to light his garden, to light parties that existed where he would, where they would gather. Okay, like I, I wanted to put images, but like maybe that's too much. That's a little too intense for a Sunday morning. I don't know. But like try and visualize that. Try and visualize burning Christians for the sake of sending a message and for the sake of celebration. Like this is how we celebrate. We burn them. I was like, that's, that's pretty intense. So Nero, you could see why he committed suicide at some point. There had to have been like a serious inner turmoil that existed. And so this fiery ordeal, when he writes to these Christians, they would understand these fiery ordeals, whether it's being lit, fed to lions, the city being lit on fire and being blamed for it, right? Like falsely blamed for something that um, wasn't their, their doing, um, would, have been, would have been crushing, would have been challenging, would have been very difficult to live under, right? And, um, and so the interesting thing that I see in all of this is that as I started to study kind of the history of it, that Christianity really began to explode in the midst of this. Because I think that, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's a very clear distinction between the powers of Nero and the power in, that was on display there and the power that God was displaying through believers who were loving one another, who were meeting one another's needs, who were caring for each other, that that message, that mission, right, was so much more enticing, so much more beautiful than this message that Nero was sending, that people were like, we need to talk about this. We need to share this with people. If it costs us our lives, we're going to keep going. Because this message of death, destruction, hate, that does not triumph. That does not work, right? And so when, we, when, when believers saw this, Christianity began to explode. It started to like, it went everywhere. And so people were about it and they were about it because they knew it was good. They saw a better way. Um, maybe your response when you hear this is like, well, that's challenging. Why would we want to speak out on that? Because I believe that the better way is worth fighting for. Um, I don't know how to say his name, but it's Ellie Weisel. Is that right? Maybe you guys know it. Uh, he's a Holocaust survivor, Nobel Peace Prize winner. He says, we must take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Right? Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. What you see Peter writing to is people who 
are struggling, who are facing challenges, but know that there is a side that is better than the other. And I know we're a society that doesn't want to take sides and doesn't want to like push an opinion, but when we talk about taking care of humanity, when we talk about loving one another, that's a side that I will take. That's a side that I believe we as the church should take. That's something, that's a truth that we, will, we should be confident and say, no, this will transform lives. This is destructive. And we're going to call it out. And what you see Peter doing is reminding them, keep going forward. Like, keep doing good. Like, keep moving in this mission because this mission is worth dying for. It's so good because it's transforming lives. It's so powerful. And that's what I get excited about. Like, as I was, like, preparing for this, I was, like, getting giddy about, like, this gospel message that we get to carry, right? Like, God entrusts you and I, like, he takes you and I into the rest of this week, into relationships, into conversations, into moments where, like, we get to bring this beautiful truth, right? This life-giving truth that then people go, oh, that is so refreshing. Like, you're the first person that encouraged me and said something kind to me this week. Everybody else in my family or my, my friend circle, whatever, is either cutting or saying, I don't know, just like rude things, whatever it is. And, and when I'm around you, it's different. When I'm around you, it's refreshing, right? Like we don't get the persecution that they were dealing with, but we still get to bring this mission. And maybe in some parts of the world it does happen, but we get to bring this mission. And sometimes you're going to get pushback for being that loving person. Sometimes there will be challenges for that. But what I want to point out here is Peter learned firsthand as he writes this, he learned firsthand how to live this because he was obedient to the Holy Spirit and listening that when he should say something, when he should do something, he should work out of the strength of God. So I want to summarize Acts chapter 3 and 4 real quick, okay? (laughs) There it is, one line. Peter walks into the temple So this is after the Holy Spirit falls on them. They're like on mission. They're a community that are like serving, that are just living out of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is gone out of the picture at this point, right? Peter walks into the temple. I think it's Peter and John. They walk in and they see this guy who they've been passing by for probably years. And he's he's lame, right? He's sitting there and he's been there all his life. The guy goes, hey, he's like begging for money. Peter goes up to him and says, money I don't have, but what I do have is the Holy Spirit. What I do have is this mission of God that wants to transform your life, and let's see what happens. The guy is healed, so I'm moving through this quick. The guy's healed, and then the leaders there start to persecute him because they're like, well, he, first Peter goes in and like starts giving this sermon about like, what just happened? God heals. God does these amazing things. It's not him. He's like, this isn't about me. This is about what God does, the mission of God. And it's healing people. It's transforming lives. And the leaders at that time are like, nope, I want nothing to do with that. Like, you can't do that. This is conflicting to the message that we have going on. People need to come to us. They need to rely on us as leaders. And this is going to interfere with our whole gig that we got going on here in the temple. And so Peter gets thrown in jail. So the leaders are like, you're done. They throw him in jail, him and John. And so they're persecuted for the mission of God, for the thing that God is doing to do what? Transform lives. Lives are transformed 
Peter knew firsthand that it's like when we go out and begin to transform people, when we set them free, when they start to experience this life-giving way of life, you're going to get pushed back because someone else is either going to be challenged by it, it's going to go against their beliefs, it's going to go against their understanding of what they think truth is, all these different things. But he says in the very end, don't give up on doing good, right? That's why I said underline that. Circle it, like highlight it. Don't give up on doing good. Don't give up on the gospel. That's the gospel. The mission of God is to come down to begin to bring redemption, freedom, new life, right? When we talk about shalom, when we go all the way back to the garden, we've talked about this a couple months ago, I think. Shalom, this peace, the way that God intended us for us to live with each other, our identity with ourselves, and our identity with God that all of that is the gospel. That's God coming in, crashing into this earth and saying, I want to change your life. And I don't want to just change your life. I want to work through you to change other people's lives. How rad is that? Like that's, that's the mission of God, the missio Dei. And so that's like a Latin term that like when you really nerd out on theology and stuff, you're gonna, you'd learn about it. And I learned about it in school. And it's been one of these things that like maybe just us pastors talk about, but I think it should be something we as a church talk about because here's what it is. The mission of God, when we understand that, is working through us and it's him sending us. It's him working through us as a church. And so I want to give you this little video because I tried to find a way to condense it into like two minutes. And I was like, this video does it beautifully, okay? Sign language is involved, so it's visual, it's auditory, it's everything. And it just captured my attention when it, co- when it comes to like trying to articulate the kingdom of God and the mission of God. So let's check this out. Missio Dei, the mission of God. It is here, it is now, and it is moving. This is more than a story or a rehearsal. This isn't lip service. It is about living God's mission today. The mission of God's intimate relationship with all of creation expressed through the life of Christ. It's an invitation to embrace God's unfolding vision that Christ made living. It's been here from the beginning. Missio Day is a moving mission of discovery and healing and hope. An agenda of significance for all who answer yes to the call to serve. Every encounter with God is an opportunity for exploration and growth. Missio Day is living the message with the community every aspect of it, embracing the world around us, our home, work, neighborhood, church, school, park, street corner, grocery store, phone call, bus ride, everything. The hope of wholeness is a promise, but we must look outside our doors. God is outward moving. It is expanding, growing, and connecting. In a separated world, that constant relational impulse of Christ's mission creates connectedness and hope. Missio Dei. God's love is enduring and persistent, drawing us together through the Holy Spirit. Through the living body of Christ, we become one. Missio Dei. 
God's vision, Christ's mission. The Word must become flesh. The Word must become flesh. Missio Dei, when we understand the mission of God, when we understand His heart, we begin to get so wrapped up in that mission that any other mission starts to get trumped by that. It gets like, so whatever you see is like, my mission in life is to, I mean, it's okay to like pursue things, and, but as we pursue whatever it is with the heart of God, I think that transforms life. And so when we talk about eternal life, when we talk about salvation, when we talk about being a Christian, moving on mission, um, we have to recognize that that eternal life is more than just something that happens after we die. Um, I say that quite often, um, but it's a truth that we see even Jesus talking about. It says, according to um, the only description of eternal life that we see in Scripture, Jesus says this. It's in John 17, 3, if you want to go study that and dig into it. It says, this is eternal life, that they, talking about the disciples, may know you, the only real God, and Jesus the anointed, whom you have sent. There's a knowing, a deep knowing of God and his heart that defines eternal life. Isn't that interesting to think about? Like we think of eternal life as like a prayer that we pray to get to heaven. But what Jesus defined it as was a deep, intimate knowledge and knowing of Jesus. That was it. It's like a knowing of Jesus. That's crazy. Like, like that shatters kind of like at least my framework of how I've always been taught about like salvation and those kind of things. But it's like, how do we begin to really understand eternal life, mission of God, um, in a way that really transforms our world? And I think that's it. It's knowing that God is on a mission and that never stops. It's always happening um, and doing beautiful things. So two questions I want to close with. Um, what do you think the mission of God is? Now that we've kind of wrestled with it a little bit. And I hope that maybe you take this into the week, that maybe you take out your phone or something to write on and write down these two questions. If you don't, take your phone out, take a picture of it wrestle with it. What do you think the mission of God is? And then where do you see God at work? And I think that when we begin to ask those two questions continually, it'll shift the way that we live daily. Because if I'm like, what's the mission of God? To love people? Okay. How I just treated that person on the freeway was not loving. I need to change my ways. Dang it. <laughs> right? And that shifts my like, understanding. Like, mission of God is at work instantly right in that moment. Okay, so um, my kids are coming back. Like, my family's been gone for a couple weeks. I've been on, like, solo life, bachelor life, so to speak, for two weeks, and they get back tomorrow night. I know that Satan is going to try and, like, test my buttons when it comes to patience because I've literally, my life's just been, like, take care of me for two weeks, right? Like, kids, it's a totally different world. You've got to take care of them. You've got to be focused on them. Um, I know that the mission of God says love those kids dearly. Like, be patient with them in times where they start to fight and act a fool, right? Like, you need to have that. Mission of God says, I'm going to change the way that I interact with them, right? Mission of God says, when I interact with whoever I interact with throughout the week, I'm going to transform that moment into something that says, 
God might be at work. Actually, I shouldn't have used the word might. God is at work. We need to be confident that God is at work, right? Like he's not maybe at work. He's not potentially at work. No, he's at work. Where do I see God at work? I don't want to say at your work. I'm saying where do you see him at work like in your daily life? Like just on a regular basis. So sorry to clarify that. Let me close with this story. Maybe you've heard of this. Fox's Book of Martyrs. And Peter, who is writing, is written in there because Peter died for his faith. So check this out. It's kind of like old English, so some of the words I might stumble over and get weird, but um, let's charge it. Among many other saints, the blessed apostle Peter was condemned to death and crucified, as some do write. So it's, this is historical. This isn't like a theory. At Rome, albeit some others, and not without cause, do doubt thereof. <clears throat> However you say his name. Uh, saith that Nero sought matter against Peter to put him to death, which when the people perceived, <clears throat> they entreated Peter with much ado that he would fly the city. He's trying to bail out. Peter, through their importunity, <laughs> at length persuaded, prepared himself to avoid, but coming at, uh, to the gate, he saw the Lord Christ come to him in his dream. So, to whom he worships, worshiping, said, Lord, wherever you go. To whom he answered and said, I come again to be crucified. By this, Peter, perceiving his suffering to be understood, returned to the city. Jerome said that he was crucified, his head being down and his feet upward, himself so requiring because he was, he said, unworthy to be crucified after the same form and manner of the Lord as the Lord Jesus was. Peter, who wrote this letter, understood deeply what he was living for was something that was worth dying for. Like, as I read these, these historical accounts of what happened and how these believers lived their lives, I can't help but think they were committed to something that was life-changing. They, they were committed to something that transformed their community. They saw it at work. They saw the Holy Spirit working through them. Peter healed a guy, right? Like, you don't just die for something that you're like, ah, oh, that's kind of cool, right? Like, he saw the Holy Spirit clearly at work and said, I'll die upside down for that. That's heavy. I know this is a heavy message and a heavy thing to talk about, but that should also not just like make us sad and, and kind of, I don't know, depressed after like hearing these kind of things, but like encouraged, fueled to say God is at work. And it's not just like our physical bodies here, this is temporary, but it's going to continue on for eternity and that what we get to do is get to be part of this mission of God working out in this world that we live in. So tomato plant, it will bear fruit. I am confident of this. That tomato plant I showed you, it will bear fruit. They, bear, they were bearing fruit 2,000 years ago, and we will today. I think that's just a reminder. As I read that, I go, there's fruit to be had. I've seen it when I'm clued into it, and I go, God's on mission. God's doing something here. When I'm not focused, I don't see it. And I just go, it's about me, 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 right? It's not about me. It's about God and what he's doing. It's about him working through us. God's going to do something beautiful through each and one of you this week. 
when we begin to clue into that and see it, right? It may be difficult, and that's why I bring up the tomato plant. I don't get tomatoes right off the bat. There's a lot of watering, there's a lot of planting, there's a lot of waiting, there's a lot of nurturing, making sure that thing grows, right? And then there's fruit. So you might be in a season of watering, nurturing, planting. You may not see the fruit. You might be like, this whole being a Christian thing is challenging, it's difficult. But let me reassure you, what he says is like, go and do good. Keep doing that good. Keep planting. Keep growing. Keep watering. There will be the end of summer where there's that beautiful tomato that you get to reap the harvest of. Or maybe not. I don't know. Peter didn't get to, right? But it invites us into a conversation about what is life transforming, mission of God, and what is all the rest. And I hope that we have the, the discernment to see how beautiful and how good the mission of God is and what he's doing in this world. And we get to participate. You get to be part of that today, right now. Like, as we stand up and leave this place after I pray, like, we get to be in that. How crazy is that? It's amazing. So let me pray, and then I'll read our benediction. Lord, thank you that uh, we get to read stories like this and letters like this that have transformed lives for thousands of years. Um, we get to be part of that, and we're honored. We're just, we're humbled as well that you use us, um, us broken vessels, to be used by you, that your mission isn't hindered by us, that you work through us, that you long to do beautiful things through us this week. And so as we go out um, as uh, as your church, Lord, um, work through us. Help us to be in tune with that. Help us to continue to ask questions of where are you? What are you up to? And help us to get on board and just join in with what you're doing and, and just approach life with an availability that says we just want to serve you and see lives transformed. Uh, we want to see fruit in that planting process. Um, so we put our lives in your hands, trusting you with all things in your name. Amen. So this is our blessing that we read every week. Rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, guiding and protecting us. Let's share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of each day. I pray that you're encouraged, and I pray that you're reminded that he's journeying with you as we go into wherever God sends us and whatever we're doing. So grace and peace, guys. If you have questions and... Uh, want to talk more about this stuff we're always available any of us leaders and, um, and this is stuff that we definitely take into our life group and continue to chew on and wrestle with and uh